I don't know if I still have them or if I've given them away. It's been a lot of years, and for the life of me, I cannot recall with any level of certainty. Oh, what am I talking about, you ask? The cooties. I don't know if I still have them or if I've given them away. You remember the cootie epidemic, don't you? It could break out on any playground of any elementary school in any given moment. Boys would chase the girls and give them cooties. Girls would chase the boys and give them cooties. And the only way, the best way to transfer cooties is just by touch. And then run like lightning away from them so that you won't get the cooties back. And for the life of me, I can't remember if I still have them or if I've given them away. What I discovered was that the greatest place to exchange cooties was in the cafeteria line at school. You got a second grade girl and she's holding on to the lunch tray by both hands. She's sitting prey. I wonder how many of you still have cooties. As I look out, I can well imagine that there's more than a few of you who are cootie-carrying Christians. I wonder if you still got them. Or I wonder if you've given them away. You know, all of us can recall in elementary school that cooties were an epidemic. This morning, Jesus bumps into a group of ten men they have something far worse than cooties. Today we continue our study of the Gospel of Luke. We find ourselves in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. Today I want to talk to you about being a thankful minority. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Luke chapter 17, I'll begin at verse 11, and I'll read through verse 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. But one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you will. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You may be seated. Luke tells us that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's traveling the border between Samaria and Galilee, and there he bumps into a group of ten men. The only thing that these ten men had in common was their disease. All of them were infected with leprosy. Leprosy was the dreaded disease of the first century. 
It was the cooties of Palestine. To have leprosy meant that you had some type of skin disorder. Usually leprosy left its mark with large, white, flaky sores on a person's skin. Nobody knew what to do with a leper. In fact, leprosy gone unmedicated could result in the loss of fingers or toes. In severe cases, it could be the loss of a hand or even a foot. Nobody knew how to cure leprosy. Nobody wanted leprosy. If a person had leprosy, they were literally marginalized by society on the outskirts of town. They could not live with the masses. They could not dwell with their family and friends. Literally, they had to live on the fringes, on the outskirts. In fact, the Old Testament says uh, that a leper could not come in contact with anyone who did not have leprosy. So that if by chance a person with leprosy ever came in shouting distance of any clean person, that the one with leprosy would have to cry out, unclean, unclean, which is a sure sign that everybody would scatter away from their midst. People feared leprosy. Nobody wanted leprosy. And if you had leprosy, your family excommunicated you. The community sent you packing. The only people that would give you the time of day were other lepers. Such is the case in our story. We have ten men. Undoubtedly, they have their own subculture. They, they, they have their own community. They're probably men with different makeups. They have uh, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different religious flavors. Undoubtedly, there are some Jews and Samaritans that would never mix or mingle any otherwise. But because they have the common disease of leprosy, they have to dwell together. Jesus is on the border between Samaria and Galilee. These ten men come at a distance and they shout, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. We're dying here. Please be merciful. They cried out to Christ. I think they probably cried out to the Lord because they probably had heard that Jesus was a compassionate healer. Maybe they had heard the story. One day there was a bold leper. I mean, he had leprosy, but he was bold. He went so close to Jesus that he said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing, be clean. And Jesus, the holy rabbi, reached out and touched the man who had leprosy. And immediately, that man was cured. Maybe the ten men of Luke 17 had heard that story. And they thought to themselves, well, if Jesus will reach out and touch a leper like that, maybe he can do the very same thing for me. Maybe they had heard through the grapevine that Jesus had given his disciples power and authority. For earlier, Jesus had told his disciples, I want you to go heal the sick. You have the power to raise the dead. You have the authority to cleanse the leper, you have the ability to cast out demons. I wonder if these ten men heard about that and they thought to themselves, well, if Jesus is powerful enough to heal himself and then if he's gracious enough to give that power and authority to his disciples, his followers, then maybe, just maybe, he or they will heal us. Jesus 
Master, have pity on us. Jesus gives an interesting command, doesn't he? Go, show yourselves to the priest. This instruction is interesting at two different levels. For starters, normally whenever Jesus healed somebody, it was an immediate healing. He immediately healed the paralytic. He immediately raised the widow's son at Nain. He immediately healed the woman who had the issue of blood for some 12 years. He immediately healed that lunatic named Legion. Normally, Jesus immediately heals people. Not in this case. He does not immediately heal them. But there's also a, a deeper meaning here. Jesus says to them, go, show yourselves to the priest. Now, a leper knew that if he was ever cured of leprosy, then he would have to go show himself to the priest, go through an examination, so that he could be reinstated into the community. No man with leprosy would ever go to the priest while he still had leprosy. He would only go once it had been healed. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, go, show yourselves to the priest, but they must have looked down at their skin and said, what are you trying to do? Get us killed? Get us in trouble? We still have leprosy. The flaky sores are still here. The oozing spots are still not dried up. Our skin is not smooth. We still have leprosy from the top of our heads to the bottom of our feet. Jesus, why are you telling us, go show yourself to the priest? The answer is that to obey the word of God that was given to them, they had to believe something about the God of the word. In order for them to obey the word of God that was given to them, they had to know something about the God of the word that just gave it to them. In other words, they had to believe something about Jesus and the promise that he just gave them in order to act on that promise before Jesus ever fulfilled what he promised he would do. You and I have to do the same thing. There are times... When you pray for healing, and it doesn't happen yet, does it? Does that keep you from praying? No. Because why? The promise of God has been given. Ask, seek, and knock. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. If the success that you're looking for in the kingdom of God is somehow elusive and not coming your way and instead there seems to be struggle and strife does that somehow stop you from following hard after God no why because the promise of God has been given to you that our God works in all things to bring about his good to those who love him who are called according to his purpose are there times when you don't quite know God's direction for your life does that keep you from following God? Does that somehow keep you or, or cause you to throw in the towel? The answer is no. Why? Because you've got the promise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. There are times that before you get a blessing, you've got to believe the blessor. You've got to believe the one who makes the promise before the promise is actually fulfilled in your life. 
This is what's happening for these 10 men. These 10 men have been told by the God of the word, go, show yourselves to the priest. And it's Luke who says that as they were going, they were cleansed. As they walked, they were healed. As they took steps, the flaky Scales fell off, and, and as they walked, their skin was smooth again. And as they walked, the dream they had had for years was finally becoming reality. They were being healed of leprosy. Praise his holy name. What they wanted was actually happened. What he promised was actually being fulfilled. With every step, they were more healed. With every step, they were more rescued. And so with every step along the way, they were putting into practice the faith that had been deposited in their heart and life. And only one person made the connection to come back and thank Jesus. Only one person came back. This morning, I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about how this one gave thanks to Christ. It's really simple. It's right there in the text. For starters, I want you to see that he came back to Jesus. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Somehow, one out of the ten made the connection between his cleansing and Christ. My cleansing has taken place because of Christ and his word to me. Only one person seemed to make that connection. And because of that connection, it caused him to stop, turn around, and go back to Jesus. He realized he wasn't cleansed because he was walking the right way. He wasn't cleansed because Jesus had told him to go to a priest and have some hocus pocus. He wasn't going to be cleansed because of some magical mysticism of what the priest was going to say. He made the connection between his cleansing and Christ. He knew that the blessing in his life was directly related to what had come from the one giving the blessing. Church, this morning I want you to know that if you look over the landscape of your life, and if you find anything good, if you find anything merciful, if you find anything gracious, it has been given to you by the hand of God. It is not because you're cute. It's not because you're clever. It's not because of lady luck. It's not because of mere fortune. It's not because of your hard work. It's not because of your intuition. God uses many of those things, but what he uses most of all is his promise through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have anything good this morning, I want you to make the connection between your cleansing and your Christ. Because every good and perfect gift comes down from above. The father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. When God's people begin to make those connections and connect the dots, when we begin to realize that every good thing that happens to us is because of God and that even the bad things God can use for his good and for his glory, when we begin to realize that we're at the disposal of God and that everything, we can go back to him and we can thank him for it, oh, that transforms everything about our living. It transforms everything about how we view the good and the bad and the ugly that goes on in our lives. I have a friend but when I would ask him, how are you doing today? He would tell me, 
Every day is a good day. I got to be honest, I thought it was just a cliche. I thought he said that just because I was his pastor and he felt like he needed to say something positive to me. So I would ask him, how are you doing today? And he would tell me, every day is a good day. I didn't quite believe him until I heard his story. This is a man who was a cancer survivor. Cancer should have knocked him out. He has the scars on the back of his neck that bear witness to the surgeries that he's had to go through to remove that cancer from his body. Whenever I talk to him, he says, every day is a good day. Why? Because God has given it to me. I could be out of this whole world, but God in his infinite grace and mercy has left me here to do his good deeds and to do his work and his will. And so here I am. Every day is a good day. I would bump into another man. I'd ask him, hey, how you doing? And I promise you, he would tell me more times than not, it's a good day because every day is a bonus. I go, what? He said, every day is a bonus. Did you know you were going to have today, yesterday? And I would go, no. Okay, you're living on a bonus. Every day you have is a bonus. Nobody has the promise of tomorrow. Everybody lives on a bonus. And I thought he was just trying to be cute or trying to put together a nice little statement. But then I heard his story. And if he was a cat, he'd already lived his nine lives. I mean, this man should have been taken out numerous times because of sickness and tragedy and some just stupid things that he would do. But he should have been knocked out and taken out. But he never was. And somehow he connected the dots that all of this life, my life, your life, all it is because of God, because of his goodness and his grace to us. So, church, I want to tell you, every day is a bonus. Today's a bonus. Yesterday, you had no guarantee of today. And God woke you up this morning. Woo, praise his holy name. Every day is a bonus. First, I want you to see this man came back to Christ. Secondly, it's right there in the text. He thanked God with a loud voice. He came back praising God in a loud voice. He had made the connection that his cleansing was related to Christ. And so he came back and he praised God with his voice. He said, I've got a reason to praise the Lord. Church, you do know that the primary reason that God has given you mouth and lips, teeth and tongue and lungs, is not primarily so that you can root for your favorite ball team or enjoy fine food or kiss your spouse. Even though I'd be the first to say I enjoy doing all three of those things. But the primary reason that God has given you mouth and lips, teeth, tongue and lungs is to praise His name. You are a praise factory. That's why you're made. You're a person who's been created just to praise God. And sometimes you get the bad case that can't help us. I just can't help but praise the Lord. I can't help but to get loud. I can't help but to praise His Holy. I just can't help it. Why? Because God has been so good to me. This man comes back to Jesus. He praises God in a loud voice. I know there are times for silence. I know there are times for reflection. But there are also times to get loud. This man 
said this was a divine moment, a sanctified second for me to get loud before everybody else in front of God. So he praised God in a loud voice. The Greek language is very helpful here. The phrase that's translated loud voice is megales phones. Megales, meaning loud. Phones, meaning voice. He praised God in a megales phones. Now, cheerleaders, I need some help here. When you hear the phrase megales phones, what comes to mind? A megaphone. That's exactly right. And your life is a megaphone. What is a megaphone? It is a tool that someone can use to amplify their voice so that other people can hear what they have to say. Your life is a megaphone in the hands of God. Megales phones. Everything that God has done for you, everything that God has done to you, is so that you can tell others what God has done for you. I don't know about you, but this morning, I came just to praise the Lord. It's good to see you. I am glad that you're here. We've got some friends that have traveled all the way from Owenton, Kentucky. It's a delight to see the Marstons right back there. I'm glad you guys are here. But I got to tell you, the main reason I came this morning was just to praise the Lord. I've got to praise the Lord because he woke me up this morning. I've got to praise the Lord because he is my creator. I've got to praise the Lord because he saved my sin-sick soul. I've got to praise the Lord because Jesus died on the cross for my sins, past, present, and future. I've got to praise the Lord because Jesus took my grave. I've got to praise the Lord because the grave is empty. I've got to praise the Lord because Jesus has ascended to the heavens with the promise he's going to come back again. I've got to praise the Lord because he's called me to preach. I've got to Praise the Lord because he's given me a roof over my head, food on my table, and clothes on my back. I just got to praise the Lord on this day because he's given me a sweet wife. I got to praise the Lord because he's given me a darling daughter. I got to praise the Lord because he's given me a spectacular son. I've got to praise the Lord because he allows me to pastor First Baptist Church of Pelham. I got to praise the Lord because God has been good to me. And so this morning, I came to church just to praise his holy name. Megales phones. He came back and praised God in a loud voice. But I also want you to see that he came back, praised God in a loud voice, and he fell at the feet of Jesus. Literally, the text reads in the original language, he fell on his face at the feet of him. He fell on his face at the feet of him. That's a picture of worship. All throughout the Bible, all throughout the New Testament, the worship of Christ is portrayed as people coming and falling on their face at the feet of him. The three wise men travel from the east. They come bearing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They come to the house where the toddler was. And when they saw the Christ child, they fell down and they worshipped him. The woman of ill repute of Luke chapter 7, who crashed the party. She was not on the guest list. She was not in, uh, meant to come. She was uninvited. 
Yet she came in and broke an alabaster jar of perfume. She poured all the contents on the feet of Jesus. She knelt down, and with her tears, she wet the feet of Jesus. And you know she's in close proximity to his feet because she unbraids her hair and dries his feet with her hair. It's a picture, a posture, a position of worship. Jesus said, this woman's sins are forgiven. After the resurrection of Christ, it is Jesus who tells the disciples, meet me on the mountain." And in Matthew chapter 28, when the disciples see the resurrected Christ, many of them fall down and they worship him. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, at the name of Christ, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Anytime you see a picture of somebody falling down in adoration, falling down in surrender, it's a portrait of worship. This man comes back, he praises God in a loud voice, and he falls on his face at the feet of him being Christ, and he worships him. Church, there's never a bad time to worship the Lord. Never. Never a bad time to worship Christ. This is a posture that we need to remind ourselves of, that oftentimes we need to get in for us to fall down and say, Lord, I surrender everything unto you. Fourth, I want you to see that this man simply thanked Jesus. You know the best way to thank Jesus? is simply to stop and thank Jesus. People can say, I don't know how I can thank Jesus for all that he's done in my life. And I get what they're saying, but I want to say to them in a very loving way, time out, why don't you just stop and say thank you? I mean, the best way to thank Jesus is just to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. That's what this guy does. He had connected the dots. Now he comes full circle. He connected his cleansing with Christ. He came back and praised God with like a megaphone. He fell down in worship. And he simply in his worship said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I want to challenge you. In the busy, hectic schedule of your life, take some time just to stop and say, thank you, Jesus. Just stop and say, thank you, Jesus. You can do this in the car. You can even do it while you're brushing your teeth. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, you can do it at any time, right? At any time of any moment, you can just stop in the hecticness of your busy schedule and say, Jesus, thank you. I thank him. Because he should have ignored me. But he invited me. He should have blasted me. But he's blessed me. He should have killed me, but he's called me. He should have rejected me, but he has redeemed me. That's not just preacher talk. That's good theology. I promise you, this is really what I think. This is really how I feel. There have been times in my life when Jesus should have taken me out. There have been times in my life when I've wagged my finger in the face of God. There have been times when I've been vile in my disobedience, and I'm not the only one in the house. 
There have been times when Jesus should have taken me out, but he's called me unto himself. He has touched me, even the leprosy of my soul, for I have something, and you have something far worse than leprosy of the skin. We have leprosy of the soul, and Jesus touches us not to get what we have, but to give us what he has. He touches us to give us his holiness, his sanctification, his righteousness, his obedience, so that we're clothed in the righteous works of Christ. Jesus has touched us. And I just have to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I do have to wonder, where are the other nine? The return rate is not that great. Jesus is operating on 10%. He healed 10, one comes back. Where are the other nine? If you ask that question, Jesus asked the question. If you ask that question, let me just go ahead and tell you, the scripture does not give us an answer. We always have to be very careful when the scripture doesn't give us an answer. It doesn't stop us from speculating, but we've got to be very careful. I can visualize why the other nine didn't come back. Maybe some of them were entitled. Well, I deserve for Jesus to heal me. It's about time. Where's he been? It's taken him long enough to come and touch my life and heal my body and remove the leprosy. Can I get an amen? Right? There's some people that are entitled. Maybe some of those lepers were entitled or felt entitled. Maybe some of them just forgot. In the joy and excitement of what took place in their life, they just forgot to connect the dots. Maybe some of them were cynical. Yeah, let's see how long this lasts. I give it two days. Then those places will come back up. Maybe some of them just got too busy. Keep in mind, they have been ostracized for probably years. They've got wives, probably children, grandchildren. Maybe some parents are still alive. Business partners, neighbors. Maybe in the busyness of going and showing everybody, hey, look, I'm healed. They simply forgot to go back to Christ. I don't know why, but I just know only one came back. You know, I've been in church long enough. I've met people who feel entitled from a blessing for Jesus. I've met people who seem to have just forgotten to give praise to Him. I've met cynics. I've met people who just get too busy. You know what? Not only have I met people like that, but there have probably been times in my life when I've been a person like that. There have been times in my life, seasons of my life, when I've felt entitled. Like I deserve something from the Lord. There may have been times when I just forgot to connect the dots in a proper way. And somehow I thought that the blessing of life was because of my doing or somebody else's doing instead of his doing. There have been times when I've been just as cynical as the next guy. Yeah, let's see if that transformation really takes place. Let's see if it really lasts. There have been times, like you, when I've been busy. Too busy to stop and simply say thank you. It's at this point in the story that Jesus tells us that this man was a Samaritan. This is not a parable. This is a real-life story. And the one who came back was a Samaritan. You know that Jews and Samaritans never mix or mingle. They don't relate or relax together. They don't associate one with the other. And in this case, it was a Samaritan that came back. And Jesus acts frustrated, doesn't he? 
angry, disappointed, aggravated? Where are the other nine? We're not all ten cleansed? Was only this one person a foreigner to return and give thanks to God? Those are legitimate questions. It seems that he asked those questions to the crowd. And then turning to the one who had been healed of leprosy, he says, rise and go. Because where was that man? Still at the feet of Jesus. He says, rise and go. Your faith has healed you. That word for healed can also be translated saved. Your faith has saved you. This man was saved, touched, healed, transformed, cleansed, not only physically but also spiritually. And the way he was spiritually cleansed was by faith alone in Christ alone. That's the only way anybody is ever cleansed. Faith alone in Christ alone. That's the only way anybody is ever saved. Faith alone in Christ alone. The year was 1860. There was a ship that ran aground in the frigid waters of Lake Michigan. There was one man, Edward Spencer, who waited in those frigid waters of a Michigan winter, and he rescued 17 of those passengers. Because it was the 1860s, because he was so long exposed in those frigid cold waters, he was permanently damaged, and a couple months later, he died. The preacher stood up at Edward Spencer's funeral, and he made this comment, that not one of the 17 passengers ever came back to say thank you. Not one of the 17 ever wrote a note. Not one ever came by his house to visit him. Not one person ever came back to say thank you. You hear that story and think to yourself, how ridiculous, how absurd, how audacious for someone who is saved not to thank the one who saved them. That took place in 1860. It may take place in 2016 too. How absurd it would be for us not to stop and thank the one who saved us. The psalmist says in Psalm 52, 9, I will praise you forever for what you have done. I will praise you in the presence of the saints. Did God wake you up this morning? Then praise Him. Has God saved your sin-sick soul? Then praise Him. Has God made a way when there's no way? Then praise Him. Has God healed your body of cancer? then praise Him. Has God healed you even though the doctor said you only have six months and that was 12 years ago? Praise Him. Has God rescued your prodigal son or daughter? Praise Him. Has God put food on your table, a shelter over your head? Has God uh, given you a job? Then praise Him. Has God been good to you? Then praise Him. Has God blessed your socks off? Then praise Him. Has God been gracious to you? Then praise Him. Has God removed your skeletons from your closet? Then praise Him. Has God promised you a home in heaven? Then praise Him. Has God said, I will come back and receive you unto myself so that you and I will be together forever? Then praise them this morning church from my vantage point it looks like we got a lot of praising to do because God is a good gracious God so let us praise his holy name
If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, today can be the greatest day of praise in your life. All you have to do, we're going to sing. You come down the aisle. You take one of the ministers by the hand and you say, I need this Jesus. I need to fall on my face at the feet of him. If you're here this morning, and let's just be honest, if this was your story, you'd be one of the nine. This morning, be like a Samaritan. Come back to him. Praise God in a loud voice. Fall on your face at the feet of him. And simply thank Jesus. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give you this invitation. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing in your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.